Steve! Steve Rhodes! Don't shout. Just shut the door. <laughs> Open the door! I'm on the run, you nitwits! Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a whoop no Man Presents, live from the Nudie Bar, the Married with Children Podcast. And here are your hosts, Jerry, Jamie, and Al. Yeah, this is the Marry with Children podcast. I know a lot of people, a lot of haters out there think that they could do better and they should start their own. Well, drool on, dream on, and move on. My name is Al. I'm insane and dangerous. I'm Jamie, and here we go. And I'm Jerry, and uh, I see you dumped the pretty wrapping for the total package. Wait, is this about Dan? Uh, I, I'm just saying that... He, no, no, he just couldn't make it to this show, but, uh, he, he will be back, unlike Steve. Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure Steve will be back at some point also. So, you know, maybe, uh, maybe we wait and see how that plays out. Not in that bedroom, pal. Well, that's a bonus. <laughs> yeah, we are reviewing the iconic episode, The Egg and I. This is the first time Steve Rhodes returns to Chicago and married with children. <laughs> this is called The Egg and I, Season 6, Episode 17, Director Jerry Cohen, Writer Ellen L. Fogel, Original Air Date, February 16th, 1992. And Jerry, just for your historic purposes, I'm sure you want to document this, they actually taped. Steve was doing these things. January 31st, 1992. I will need to know that for when I get a time machine and go back and get in that guest audience. Oh, wow. I thought you were just going to hop in the bedroom and start doing uh, double-teaming Jefferson. Uh, I, I mean, whoa, with the arguing. Whoa. No, no. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. <laughs> I've got Steve's back on this. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, I don't know where we're going with this. So, uh... <laughs> This episode starts off already iconic, an iconic visual of Al coming down the stairs, fixing a noose around his neck as if it were a necktie. Well, you know, some say they call orgasms the tiny deaths. So him coming down from the bedroom kind of makes sense for him to have a noose around his neck. Right. And that picture is, <clears throat> again, iconic in social media for people more in the marriage children's circles. You've seen that a lot of times. And once again, Al, Al has a lot of possible memes that could just be Monday at work or going back to work Monday or the weekend's over or, yeah. you know. Bundy has become the, the meme for millennials. <laughs> like he really has, like, because all they do is is – make Bundy jokes when you really think about it they hate their job and they want to kill themselves so I think that's why he's so popular in memes is because he has those you know gun, uh, finger guns to his head or a noose around his neck or his sign saying just shoot me Right. I think there's millennials that know him from those who have never watched the show 
Right, or him with his head in his hands at work for eight straight hours, yes. or jumping out of an airplane. I mean, he's just amazing. He and I love that he actually they they actually break down the fourth wall or something. Like later on, he kind of mentions that he's an icon, <laughs> and it's true. So it's kind of cool that he's kidding around, but it's actually the he's truth. The, he's an American hero. He had four touchdowns in one game. <laughs> yeah, he's mentioned that a lot lately. For our country. exactly what are millennials complaining about though i mean they get to go to work in their skinny jeans and their faux hawks and they have dogs in the office and they drink starbucks all day Uh, what is what what is the problem i don't like starbucks um i just want (laughs) to i just want to say that i am a millennial who doesn't like starbucks i drink one type of coffee and one type of coffee only folgers crystals uh no, uh it's uh donut shop chocolate glazed donut. Ooh, that sounds good. It is it's very good. It's the closest thing I can have to like a shake. So I wonder if Steve would drink that. Steve? I I don't know. I I don't think Steve would use a K cup is a problem. Like I use K cups. I feel like Steve would make it the old fashioned way. He he would be he a would pot of coffee. Yeah, he would talk about like he would be the guy that like goes way too far if steve was like still around today steve would represent hipsters hmm. i can yeah i can see that i can see that if we're talking about this show in form of millennials steve would be the the hipster millennial while al is that depressed millennial yeah okay i can buy that well before we get to that let's get to the name of this episode the title of this episode is a reference to the 1947 movie of the same name how about that? Yeah, wow. And uh, if anyone's a fan of the Batman 66 TV show, they did an episode called The Og and I with Vincent Price as Egghead. I, I, well, have you all ever seen the uh, the movie The Egg and I? No. Okay, so this guy comes back from war. It's like a, uh, a guy from the city. And uh, he reveals to his wife, like, on their wedding night – that he bought this chicken farm that's been abandoned, and they're going to move there. And she's like a city girl. And then so she has an extremely – she has a problem, like, adjusting to it. But on top of that, what kind of ties it into this episode is there's uh, this neighbor, this very, like, glamorous neighbor who starts putting her eyes on her husband. Hmm. So a tie-in here is a woman – well, in this one, it's two women kind of fighting over a man, so to speak – and they're on an egg farm as to where in this episode it's there's an egg there while two guys fight over one woman. Mm. Kind of sounds like the plot to Green Acres, except for the fighting over the man part. Yeah, it makes sense compared to, uh, say, the mystery of Skull Island, which makes no sense. Oh, people really loved your drop in there, man. Thank you for informing us. We were totally in the dark. All I did was inform me on all that. It makes no sense. Right. You didn't know either. So that was, that was really a great job. <laughs> yeah, <drop> exactly. <laughs> Dynamite drop in, Monty. Is that the... <laughs> Good evening. <laughs> is something bothering Daddy? Oh, he's just preparing to do his taxes. <laughs> Yikes and gadzooks! <laughs> and here we go. Look what the IRS is doing to Daddy. First, there's poor Willie Nelson, who brings us, brings us so much joy and amasses a fortune, they take it away. Next, they set their sights on Red Fox. 
They drive him to royal family, and you know he wasn't going to live long after that. <laughs> well, it always comes in threes. And which American Idol do they turn to next? Al Bundy. Yeah. Well, I'll never star on Royal Family. Wouldn't mind doing an episode or two of Growing Pains or something like that. But, uh, I don't want to be on ABC! Yes, Al Bundy uh, says it out loud that he is an American idol. And I don't think he's talking about that singing show. <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, thank God. That's another millennial thing. Um, so, yes, he is an American idol. So that's great that he pointed that out. And he mentions a couple other guys. Well, um, Al compares himself to country music legend Willie Nelson and comedian Red Fox, both of whom faced financial problems during the height of their careers due to their lavish spending. Yeah. um, And plenty of more guys. If this show was on today, he would have. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think uh, Wesley Snipes had some tax problems. Um, well, not exactly problems. He just didn't pay them because there's a uh, that could be a problem. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's something in the amendment or something where you don't have to pay taxes. It's not against the law to not. But apparently that is they don't really enforce that train of thought and you will just go to jail. So, yeah, I guess they just do whatever they want. Well, I'll never star on Royal Family. Wouldn't mind doing an episode or two of Growing Pains or something like that. But just... uh, then uh, Al mentions the Royal Family, a short-lived series that was on CBS that Red Fox went to, which was eventually canceled after Fox's sudden death during rehearsal Jesus. in 1991. I did not know he died during rehearsal for that show. Wow. But yeah, I mean, uh, Al's point being he had to, he was pushed on to doing that show uh, because of uh, financial problems. Um, and then he uh, mentions Growing Pains, which was a popular sitcom on ABC. Uh, you know what? I used to love that show, except... I know exactly what you're going to say. This is pre-Christian. Crazy Christian, Kirk Cameron. Yep. But even back then, it was so hokey because they were ju- they were just, the way they talked, it was so unnatural. Ah, heck. You know, it, oh, it was he just. he destroyed that show. So wholesome that it was cringy, even back then. Right. You know, I was, what, 14 when that show, around the time, and I loved it, but at the same time, I was like, oh, come on, man. Well, uh, Alan Thicke never went to prison, and uh, that's who was on Growing Pains. Uh, he played the, the dad on that show. But he later appeared on Married with Children twice, as Henry in season 10 and Bruce in season 11. What is with these name changes? No, just kidding. Who cares? Can I change my name to Steve, then? Uh, haven't you sort of unofficially done that? I know, but can we start calling me Steve? <laughs> I told you to call me Tex. Come on. <laughs> it's said that Steve actually did this episode for free. He did not take payment for the return episode. He just thought it would be fun and did the episode for absolutely nothing. Now, uh, the source of this remains unclear. Some believe it may have been on the six hour archives for television where Michael Moy was interviewed. 
So uh, it's not absolutely 100% clear, but that is uh, – that's out there. I wonder yeah, if there was I, like a contract thing where they had to say that he did it for free. Yeah, isn't that against the law to not pay somebody to – No, um, you can volunteer to do something. He volunteered to do the job. Oh, you can, but I but you can. But I wonder if they actually did pay him and then for whatever reason they're like, nah, we didn't pay him. Yeah, I don't know. It just it – just, because there are so many rules in Hollywood about weird things that mm. sometimes people lie in order to – like Steven Spielberg lying about directing Poltergeist because he was also directing E.T. at the same time and he can't, he couldn't do it. I mean mm. the Directors Guild of America doesn't allow you to do that. So he had to – so he flat out lied and everybody knows it. That is not a Toby Hooper film. Yeah, that's true. That even happened in the 50s. You had uh, the thing from another planet has often been rumored to actually have been directed by producer Howard Hawk. So um, that's actually, a common thing. In this case, I, I'm i going to have to start like a Twitter petition to get David Garrison to come and let me interview him. Because when I was trying to find out more info on, you know, why Why did David agree to come back? Who reached out to who? Mm. I could barely find anything. And what I could find had no sources. Mm. It was all just uncredited. Nothing would point me to anywhere. And I didn't want to bring like rumor and speculation. Like I, I like I didn't have, and I didn't have enough time to like try to do a deep dive research. But even then, I don't think the info is out there. The best clear answer I got was what Alex said. That is the best answer out there that seems like it might have some credibility to it. Hmm. But we like we do know why he left the show and all of that, which is great. But I want to know what kind of brought him to come back. I would like to, you know, actually see who reached out to who, uh, what what was going on with it. There's a lot of like mystery around the David Garrison uh, leaving the show, coming back, Steve situation. And I. I I would love to have answers, and I think the only way we're going to get answers is to get David himself, which is going to be very, very hard. Yeah. But if anything, I said we'd do a Kickstarter to raise money to pay him to come do an interview. Apparently, he does things for free. Yeah, maybe we'll do it for free because <laughs> yeah, he thinks yeah, it'll be fun. Listen to one show and be like, I don't know, that Jerry guy is kind of creepy. Yeah, he's gonna be like, I'm. You know what? Further I stay away from him, the better. Well, Stalker! Make it easy, man. Look at the size of this bill. They're trying to take away everything I've earned over the last 20 years. Oh, no, Al. Yes! $44! (laughs) You're trying to get just a little bit ahead, and then... (laughs) Daddy, is there something that we can do to help? Well... Get part-time jobs and help Dad out. <laughs> no, seriously, Al. What can we do? And Kelly shouldn't laugh too much. She She's actually a pretty good worker. She's had plenty of jobs, and that idea is not so foreign to her. I'm surprised there hasn't been an episode with Bud working at some fast food place wearing, like, a chicken costume or something. You know, they always... I, I love it in TV shows, the, the fast food restaurants. They always have these goofy costumes they wear, and like in real clown life, dog it's, or something. It's uh, yeah, exactly. And in real life, it is not like that at all. No. It, doesn't it seem like because that's a that was a very common 
sitcom trope, doesn't it seem like at some point Bud would have done something like that? Uh, yeah, and what's really weird is, once again, we're a couple episodes from now, like five or so from now, we're just going to get uh, Kelly getting another job and Bud showing up there instead. Like they'll, It's like they'll do anything, but the show after that, the gas station show, we do get a glimpse of Bud working. Like, I always felt like Bud was a hustler, and he was, you know, making money at school hustling something. Not drugs or anything, but... Right. Well, Jamie, didn't you want to pay 25 cents to oil up the stud? Want to? No. Oh, that's what you said last time. Poor Bud. No, I said, you know, I was like, that was the most I would pay. <laughs> <laughs> it went down to 10 cents. It was 10, 25, 50, 25, 15, 10. Hey, I have an idea. Why don't you just give the government the bird and not pay the taxes? <laughs> Kelly, you can't cheat the government. Because pretty soon they'll tack on interest and penalty payments. And before you know it, in a few years, this will be 50, 60 bucks. <laughs> then you got the monkey on your back for the rest of your life. $44. <laughs> they could take the house. Great. Then we'd still owe $30. <laughs> so Steve rings the doorbell, takes off his hat, revealing that it is Steve himself. <gasps> I love him hiding his face with that hat and, and you know, cape. It it uh, reminds me of, you know, Phantom of the Opera or Vincent Price in House of Wax or something. Right, like, yeah. It was so good. And then when it reveals that it's Steve, I don't know if you remember this, Alex, but I talked about um, way back when, uh, during Steve's kind of last run, how he started kind of coming off like a, a crazy man. He, yeah. he he was kind of becoming two people, uh, uh, you know, a side of him that was Alan, a side of him that's Marcy. Yeah, he was unhinged. Yeah, and there was a guy who I read commented on how Steve got stupid in, like, season four. And I, I just was like, I don't think he got stupid. I think he got crazy. And when he comes back in this episode, he kind of looks like a crazy person. His eyes have that wide crazy look you know and like the guy and the guy commented talking about how he does all this like strange weird stuff and i'm like yeah because he's crazy he lost his mind and he evidently has still lost his mind something clicked when he lost his job for that hawaii trip and it just never got any better and you know like well he had some oh at the zoo was was the first you know, sign that they, you know, oh, you know, you can listen to our Steve special for this because we actually dissected this, guys. It's on Patreon. Please, for $5, you get all of our content, all of our bonus content. We went so in depth on Steve, and this episode alone should make you want to hear that because we, we do the whole spiral, we examine everything and see how he got here. And you're right, the way he lifts that hat, oh, thank God the hat he took off his head wasn't a Okay, hold up. Come on now. Slow your roll. Let's calm uh. down. No, let's talk about this amazing hat he's wearing uh, that looks like it, you know, belongs to the Phantom of the Opera. It's, it's, it's yeah. great. This is the hat right here. And you know what? 
you know, going back to the razor's edge, he's got his beard back and it's looking strong. I'm telling you, he is rocking that beard. Yep. I was like, how old am I? Because he's looking good right now. Yeah. Oh, well, I was going to ask you about that later, too. Good. I'm glad you yeah, said that. So. Like the millennials say, he's looking like a snack. He, uh, <laughs> he, uh, and, and then, well, and that's funny because, see, when he came, well, I was like, well, look at Steve. He's looking good. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm old. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's weird because as I was going to ask you about something later, I was wondering if, well, Jamie's older now, so she this she couldn't be sh- thinking this is creepy or weird because as a kid, you know, how we always see adults and when they take their shirt off, it always just looks like old people with shirts off. Yeah. Now we're actually them. So I wonder if we see it now and just be like, oh, that's our life now. Yeah, I wasn't so much impressed with the shirtless part. Okay, now you're just lying. But you his, <laughs> but he did, he. I really liked the beard. I think it looked good and it had a little bit of salt and pepper going on. His eyes looked really blue. I, you know, I was like, look at Steve. It was, it was a sea of beauty. His eyes. Uh, so the last time you ever saw Steve Rhodes was Rock and Roll Girl, February fourth, nineteen ninety. I think he watched. Uh, he watched Kelly in that music video and. That was about the last time you saw him, and here we are on uh, February 16th, 1992. He's back. Why, it's Steve! Steve Rhodes! Don't shout. Just shut the door. (laughs) (laughs) And they shut the door. It's like he wants two things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was the best line ever. Because it's Kelly being dumb, but it's also everyone seems to be as confused as she is, though. Open the door! I'm on the run, you nitwits! But he said to shut it. What what do we do now? I don't know. It's like he wants two things. (laughs) He comes around back in the sliding door. Well, I was going to ask what's new. But obviously, you've all gone to college since I left town. <laughs> That's his observation of how well they handled shut the door. Oh. I left town. Years ago, left Marcy, became a forest ranger. I think Yosemite. That's where he went. Did you hear how they snuck in there, Al, saying, Oh, Yosemite, that's where he went, which is a... Which is, of course, a reference to Kelly's joke when she told Bud where Steve was going. She said, uh, the place where Yogi lives, Yozamite, even though it's Jellystone. But back to more pressing matters, they don't even seem to remember that he left town years ago. It's just bizarre. It's like, and then Steve has to remind Bud of his name. It's it's moments like this where, where I have to try to figure out, are the Bundys, like in connection with each other that they just all seamlessly right. make the same joke at the same time like are they that tight knit of a family that they all do the well who are you thing uh or is it supposed to just are they or is it the writers trying to show that the bundy family is dumb i, I would like to think it's the first instead of the latter kelly i believe just being dumb the the rest of them though it's and it Steve has even come up in conversation quite a bit since he left. And so, it wasn't that long. Oh, Steve yeah, cause Steve was just brought up like what, three episodes ago, three, four episodes ago? In front of them? Right. When she compared um 
when Marcy was saying my husband was, uh, you know, she compared him to Jefferson and made Jefferson look like a fool. And we said we didn't like that. Um, what episode was that? It was well, the only I, mean, one... I, I liked it, but. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was the episode you were on. What the, how do yeah, we not like know? Yeah, it was like three episodes ago. Um, oh, uh, I have nothing? I have nothing. Yep. Yeah. There we go. So, right. And th- did they do say Steve when he walks in the front door? The only one who forgot his name was Bud. Which, I don't think Bud forgot. I think Bud is making fun of him. Yeah, because you had a theory that Bud didn't like Steve even back then. Um, yes. Because well, he, he got in his way of Marcy. Correct. I think that they were trying to show the the Bundys didn't care enough to remember that he left town, even though it's impossible. I don't know. This episode is a conundrum for me because later on we're going to have Al saying we don't turn people in for 10 grand when I don't I feel like Al would have turned Steve in for 10 grand back when Steve was there. So I don't I, I don't think Al would him. turn himself in for 10 grand. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I just didn't understand that. I like the only reason I kind of get it is because of the tax thing, because it's the same way when uh, they when the uh, he fought about the streetlight and the telephone bill. Right. How he gets so he will go to war if the cause is big enough for him. Right. And that's the only thing that makes sense here. But they didn't explain it as well like they did when they did it for the street lamp and the phone bill. Yeah, it was just a beginning joke, and he really didn't think about it until Al kept, like, sort of bringing it up, but yeah. Yeah, so they should have, like, kind of embellished that a little bit more. Right. Yeah, forest ranging. That was the life. Just me and the wind roaming free where no man goes. Wow, must have been a pretty strong wind. (laughs) Al makes a joke about Steve's thinning hair. For, uh, you, and it's kind of funny uh, that, you know, I originally I thought that was just a callback, but then they use it again with, with Jefferson in the bed and kind of showing how Jefferson, Jefferson is the improvement because, you know, he also has better hair. Well, he uses Dr. Fur. Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. That's the only thing. That's that's what's going on there. He conditioned his hair with Dr. Fur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, Steve. Steve. <laughs> what are you doing here? I brought... This. That, jackals, you can't eat this. This is a genuine, double-breasted, speckle-ruffed, weenie canyon hawk. That bird does not actually exist. No, I did find some porn, though. This hawk is as rare to this country as soap is to you people. They were going to take it to a lab. Well, someone had to stop them. Someone with courage, with conviction, and real American guts. So I bribed a Boy Scout to climb up and get it for me. (laughs) It cost me a quarter, but uh, I wasn't the one who broke my leg falling out of the tree. They were going to take it to a lab. I mean, what do you think that means, Steve? Is that like uh, a lingo for they're going to cook it up and serve it at a fast food restaurant? Like, so what? Like, this whole episode is based on they were going to take an egg to a laboratory and probably just put it in an incubator and make sure it's safe because they're so rare and they're going about to be extinct. I mean, don't they do things like this? Yes, and that's exactly what I assumed they were going to do. Right, so what does he... Maybe even extract some DNA to have on hand. You know, I don't know. Uh, but I, I don't think they were going to do anything... 
to hurt it. It's almost extinct. They're, they, you know, they would attempt to save it. Right. Well, you know, I think Steve has that like Munchausen by proxy syndrome where he thinks, you know, like he, he was going to save the turtle and it turns out he did not save the turtle. He's going to save this, you know, egg. He's not going to save this egg. Uh, but I like I think he like he has good intentions. He just does not have the I don't want to call him stupid, but he, he doesn't have the right state of mind anymore because all his trying to save stuff always has started with him going crazy. So he has good intentions. Unfortunately, you know, Ozzy Osbourne on drugs is the one driving that train. Right. The crazy train. Yes. Well, he bribed a Boy Scout to climb up and get it for him, so I guess he won't be in danger of falling out of a tree and getting a con con concussion the way Jerry did. Remember how I tied you two together that way? Oh, wait, you would have liked that. Never mind. I did, and I did have a concussion a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, but it turns out that wouldn't happen to Steve because he pays kids 25 cents to do this, his dirty work. Very smart. See, Jamie's going to pay 25 cents. Steve pays 25 cents. It's the good going rate. So here I stand, the proud eco-warrior. And I must say, I feel the hero. <laughs> Gee, Steve, you're leading a darn interesting life. <laughs> it's too bad Alfalfa's dead, because he would have made a good you in the movie of your life. <laughs> well, to be honest, there is another reason I came back. I never considered that $50 a loan, Steve. <laughs> Not that, you imbecile. Not the $50 a loan, you imbecile, he says. Now, at this point, when he says imbecile, didn't you notice that he is really, really laying it on thick with, like, talking down to the Bundys and speaking to them with such disregard? And, like, since when does Steve talk to them like that? Well, like I said, well, I mean... I always used to point out that a lot of times they would have Steve or Marcy talking down to the bunnies and it would end up backfiring and doing that exact thing on them. That would happen a lot during those days. But now I just literally think this is another example of, you know, he nor. Yeah, he used to talk down to the bunnies. Now he talked down on the bunnies with crazy poured on, because if you look at his eyes the entire time he's talking to them, his eyes are always shot out. Right. Like he never looks. Like, with calm eyes. But, like, normally you say, no, you ghoul. Or, you know, like, maybe when they were trying to eat something else. Said, no, you ghouls. This isn't for that. But that's all he would say. Now it's like, you imbeciles, you this, you that. You like, he's really different. It, like, this is jerk phase. Probably got into some bad acid out there with those hippie chicks. <laughs> yeah. I came to reclaim my wife. So... He's on the run with an egg, goes back to where he used to live to re to get back with his wife and stay there permanently. But wouldn't that be where they look for him? And he knows he's on the run. I I don't know. Yeah, doesn't make sense. And because if you look back to when Steve and Al, you know, had the joke about robbing the bank, mm -hmm. you know, like Steve handled all that with with relatively you know, smart things. That's why I, I say this proves more that Steve is crazy. 
Like, well, yeah, because he wouldn't have to have some elaborate reason. It's not like he was in, you know, escaping from prison to come back there. He could just come back anytime he wanted to, you know. Um, yeah, he just happened to have the egg at this time. It just, you know, yeah, it just there's this weird coincidence thing that doesn't really make any sense. Well, so, I mean, I guess it's not like they had to give him a reason, you know. Yeah. They didn't have to have him on the run. But Do you think he needed to give himself a reason? Or it was more like, Marcy, I'm, I'm back, and look at me. I have saved this egg. I am a hero. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe with his know. new crazy logic, that made sense. But see, crazy yeah. Glasses on and, and also look at with it. the crazy, it, it. I mean, that would explain why he thinks it makes perfect sense that he should be able to just walk right back into his house and pick up where he left off, and she wouldn't have a problem with it. Not only does he do that, he thinks he's having sex tonight. Tonight. Okay. The well, to be fair, night, he's Steve. The, the very night he comes home. Oh, yeah. Like he's, he's, he's expecting to go to that house and she's going to be so excited to see him. She's going to fall all over him. And I don't know anyone who would go through what Marcy went through and, and you know, have the guy walk back in the door and then you go, yeah, baby. Like, I, I see absolutely no problem with any of it. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, Jerry. This is jerk face, Steve. Like, this is Steve it's jerk mode. It's not jerk face, Steve. It's crazy eyes, Steve. Oh, it's kind of a jerk move is what it is. Dude, this whole thing, this whole episode, if you didn't ever know Steve before. You know I'm going to ask you a question, Alex. If you were married to, to, to Miss Marcy. Which that would mean I'd have to have liked her at some point, right? For, okay, yep. For years. Would you also not lose your mind? But he is just on another level. He is so cocky and arrogant and insulting to everybody. He is just such an unlikable person in this episode. I don't know if there's a single redeeming second. I disagree, but I maybe because I, I mean, obviously, I'm biased, kind of like when we go back to that run where Peggy was really bad. Oh, yeah, but we all saw that. You have to see this. Yeah, but I, I don't like, but I'm also looking at it with, St- you know, Steve's kind of crazy. He's off his rocker. So he's, you're he's you're not... playing the devil's advocate. So, how do you explain all this talk? Crawl back to me, you imbeciles. Well, I mean, you saw that beard, right? <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, I like when you looked that good, Alex, okay? Fine. You know, you, well, I had a beard. I looked that good once. He's the George Clooney of Forest Rangers, okay? All right. You gotta, you gotta understand. Now, is he being, you know, kind of a jerk? Yes, he is. But it's because his, the chemical imbalances in his brain are pretty wonky and... Well, I think you're right about the crazy and chemical imbalance. I mean, anyone who was able to get out of a marriage with Marcy and is voluntarily trying to get back into it, that's pretty crazy. It's like with Jeffrey Dahmer. Did he eat people? Yes, he did. But, you know, chemical imbalances in the brain. It's uh... yeah. If he would have just been able to talk to his dad about his homosexual tendencies, none of this would have happened. Just like if Steve would have just been able to talk to Marcy about his life dreams and, you know, she accept him and empower him instead of, you know, crushing his manhood. 
Well, think about it. Marcy totally did uh, something really low to Steve, if you think about it, because she didn't accept Steve as a stay-at-home loser who doesn't want to work or anything like that. But she does let this behavior go on with her new husband. So Steve put all these years into her, knew her from when she was younger and all this stuff. When he decides this, it's not, it's no good for her. But when Jefferson, someone she doesn't even know, it's fine. You know what? It would have been really good if they would have had Steve known about that beforehand. Like if he would have been like keeping tabs or spying on her. Mm. Because then that would have kind of made his craziness a little bit better. Right. Oh, you didn't accept it when it was me, but now you accept it with him. Right. Yeah, and she actually they actually say in this episode that she has said to Jefferson he wasn't referring to Steve. He wasn't much to look at, but at least he had a job. Yeah, which she's clearly lying, you know. Uh, well, uh so Al deliberately stops Peg from telling Steve that she's remarried. He'd rather just see this all play out. Like I said, Steve has not been very kind to the Bundys since he showed up again. And it went it is a little sad. I mean, I know we're watching a comedy, but it was kind of sad that they nobody. It wasn't the reunion that you thought. Like, hey, buddy, I is shaking his hand, giving him that half man hug, and all this type of stuff. None of that happens. Like everyone is just in their same in their same mode. They're always in. There is no breakdown. There's no break character at all. It's kind of funny in a way, but. Steve, I think there's something that you uh, should now, know. Now, Peg, uh, the man has traveled many a mile. <laughs> Let's not keep him from the bosom of his woman, <laughs> wherever it may be. Thanks, Al. But you know, it's funny. My key doesn't seem to work in the door. Oh, here. Try one of ours. Let's see. The Murphys, the Mullins, the Levins. Ah, yeah. Oh, good. Now... Don't tell Marcy. I want to surprise her. (laughs) Okay. You uh, might want to cover the children's ears. There may be some noises youngsters shouldn't hear. (laughs) We're counting on it. So, like I said, Steve thinks he's getting sex from Marcy. Like, why would she do that? Only Jerry can answer you. Uh, Does he really believe she's just been sitting there pining over him for all this time? Who knows? I mean, that's what I've been doing since I left the podcast. And here you are. You're finally back, and he's back, and you must be like a pig in slop right now. Should we yell out Sui and then you come over and do the podcast? <laughs> Please don't bring that up. I'm still scarred. Oh, I'm still. I started doing Sui jokes now. <laughs> that way, it looks like I know what I'm talking about. I know. Every time I hear you do it, I, I cry a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It it does do that because what I do is I set that up. That way, when people discover our podcast, hopefully they start with what's happening now, and I make that joke, and they see that I know what it means. And that way, when they go back to the beginning and get to that one, they don't send me a letter again letting me know what Suey means. <laughs> it's like a proactive thing. Yeah, except I sabotage him every time because when he does it, and I'll go, "Oh, you're so proud that you finally know what it means." <laughs> yeah, she has to point that out. <laughs> It's amazing. I'm so glad I have Jamie in my corner. 
the biggest thing we've ever been correct or the most meaningless thing we've ever been corrected on well, by I mean, everyone. Guys, come on. I can't really blame people for that one. I can't. We're city boys. I it what <sighs> Yeah, hey. I'm from Alabama, but not that part of Alabama. <laughs> well, unbeknownst to Steve, he climbs into bed with Jefferson and Marcy. He starts... Now, let's not go crazy, but let's examine this a little bit. He starts rubbing what he thinks is Marcy's head and comments on how long her hair is getting. <laughs> so if that if that really was her, that's how he would have reintroduced himself? Ooh, you're letting your hair grow long again. <laughs> Feels just like silk. Thanks. I conditioned it tonight. That's good, you know. With your texture. Like, imagine she's laying in bed and all of a sudden someone's rubbing your head. And then they'd say, wow, your hair is long. And you're like, why is someone in here and why are they... Wait, what's happening? And then she's <laughs> supposed to turn around and go, oh, Steve, I love you. Yeah, I see, I see nothing wrong with this. <laughs> If Steve crawled in my bed and started rubbing my head and, and you know, and I, I turned around and saw it, I would, you know. He would compliment your long hair. He would compliment my long hair, my flowing mane. Now that you got that heat brush, he would really like it. I, I should have used it today because my hair was, like, going crazy. I had to put a bandana on to keep it down. Ooh, you're letting your hair grow long again. <laughs> Feels just like silk. Thanks. I conditioned it tonight. That's good, you know, with your texture. Then he, Steve gets, like, breaks the whole romantic talk and starts talking about the texture of his hair. And at that point, they both realize, wait, who am I talking to? Both of them realize this at the same second. And they start screaming, running around the room. Chaos ensues. While the Bundys sit across the way in the window... And suddenly there's food in the house. They have popcorn. Thank God for that. I thought of that, too. Wow, look at him running around. While Kelly is there with them, which you should be watching the chaos ensue, Kelly's facing the wrong way. Uh, <laughs> they fix her. Now she could see. Bud is videotaping this whole thing. It's an outrage! It's an outrage! Hey, where'd that little guy come from? Oops, it's Marcy. <laughs> oh, God, Al. Look at the mayhem and carnage you caused. Yeah. Every now and then, I really love you. <laughs> That's a great line, and it, I, it does show why they love each other. You know, it's kind of like that screwed up kind of thing. But I love that though. Now we get to a classic scene with Marcy in the middle, Jefferson on one side, and Steve on the other side, and they are going back and forth. This whole exchange is iconic. It means so much to the show we finally have because uh if you remember this is the first time that um jefferson and steve were ever together 
uh, on the show, and even Ted McGinley and David Garrison were never together because when Al had that dream with Sam Kennison and Ted McGinley showed up as Norman Jablonski, Steve was not there either. Uh, this is all written so well. He's your husband? Were you hurt so bad when I divorced you that you'd marry this? Whoa, the desperation. <laughs> this is the mighty Steve? The one you used to throw in my face? The one who wasn't much to look at, but at least he's got a job? <laughs> oh, you gigolos make me sick. You think just because a man divorces his wife, you can move right in and marry her? Well, I'm back. So you can just pack up your hair and profile and find another heartbroken, discarded, middle-aged woman to marry. And leave us decent folk to our happy home. And find another heartbroken... Like, I don't understand any of this. Steve is trying to get back with her, and all he does is degrade and insult Marcy for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Why does he have to say... It's a crazy. I also think there's a, still a part of, of Steve that's very hurt by Marcy, and maybe he feels the only way he would be able to get Marcy back is, like, to bring her down. Like, you know how they have it? Like, you'll see the guys who do the whole lower their self-esteem so you can, you know, get them when they're down. Like, if you insult them and then compliment them or do a compliment that's actually a, a you know, insult. Yeah. You know, something kind of like that. Either that or Steve has some crazy plan of getting back with her just to then turn around and break her heart, which would have been a great thing in the show had they had done that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. He's You can't understand crazy. Pardon me, Yogi. <laughs> You're not wanted here. Marcy's got a real man now. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Oh, according to my watch, it's 10.22. When I was married to her, we were never sleeping at 10.22. <laughs> She's just resting. <laughs> She's been on the Tilt-A-Whirl since 6 p.m. And at this point, I just love... Like, were you guys just watching Marcy this whole time and looking at her reactions while these guys are having a pissing contest? Yes. I was watching Steve. Oh. I'm not even gonna lie because I'm trying to think of Marcy's face, and all I can picture is Steve's face when he gets called Yogi. Hey, <laughs> her reactions are what tie this whole thing together. Because yeah, it's funny to see the the these two um, who they are on the show do this to each other. But the payoff is watching the woman who they're this is all about observe it. Like, she's letting Steve, think about it, she's letting him stand in her bedroom and go back and forth with this petty thing, this pissing contest, with her now husband in the middle of the night at, well, 1022. And I will say throughout this whole episode, Marcy plays it wonderful. She is so in control of herself and in control of the situation and what she wants, what her plans, like... If this was a chess game, she would be killing it. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes me kind of go understand why she lets Jefferson not have a job and all that. It's because M Steve had control over Marcy. 
Right. Steve, when Marcy messed up Steve's car, it was an issue. When they got into arguments, it, she would realize she was not in control. And now she she has it where she is in control. She has control of Jefferson. And it's going to take a little bit before Al gets his earworm into Jefferson to, you know, make Jefferson the character that uh, you people all come to love. <laughs> Um, you people. What do you mean, you people? You Jefferson lovers. You know what I mean. Okay. They're going somewhere else. But all of this, like, when you look at the, the background context, it kind of makes you understand Marcy. And this episode is a great episode for Marcy because it kind of establishes who she is now and what she is. She is the only character who has gone through what you would see in a regular drama sitcom. Or even, like, if you're watching something like you know, later sitcoms that would come like Friends or How I Met Your Mother, stuff like that. Someone who's actually went through a relationship breakup, a divorce, one that really mattered. Marcy is kind of like the realest character on the show. She's the one that keeps the show slightly grounded. And this episode, while all this crazy stuff, crazy ex-husband comes in with an egg he stole with the FBI looking at him, coming in being all Mr. Uh jerk face to everyone right and she plays it calm cool and collected because she knows who she is now her heart was broken she rose up from the ashes and she is going to have control of her life from now on and this episode proves that yet she doesn't need reassurance from steve anymore she doesn't need nope. his approval nothing oh yeah oh yeah yeah ever taken her in the kitchen on and off the table. <laughs> Front yard, baby. Firehouse. Dairy Queen. You lube it. And a homeless person shopping cart. <laughs> really? Now, how do you keep it from rolling? Because oh, I no problem. No, you see little wheels on the Homeless person shopping cart. And that's kind of where Marcy draws the line. Really? Because how do you keep it from rolling? Oh, well, you just well, put it. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, how weird Steve... And Marcy did it in a homeless person's shopping cart. Like, they actually, instead of taking one from the supermarket, they saw a homeless person and they rustled the cart away from them, ran off with it, went into an alley, maybe or maybe not took the crap out of it, and then went in it and had... We, we, I think Who says we that took it away? <laughs> they took it away from him and went to an alley. Maybe they just did it right there in front of him. Ooh. Yeah, I think we forget exactly how sex-driven their relationship was. So they could have been super kinky and let her watch. But we did prove that Marcy doesn't mind people watching. She was going to let Steve watch in this episode. But I don't want to blow that whole lead up. Gentlemen, but I have something I'd like to say here. Ah, ta-ta, little nose. I knew she'd come crawling back. Crawling? To you? Ha-ha, I say. I wouldn't crawl to you if I had a date with Mel Gibson and you had the last diaphragm on Earth. <laughs> Me neither. Like, dude, seriously? What planet are you living on that this is gonna get your objective in your hands. Planet crazy. During this whole exchange, it is clearly seen to all the listeners that Jefferson is wearing the now famous PJs that can be famously seen on our official Married with Children podcast banner, where 
It is artwork done by Josh James. Look him up and hire him if you like our banner. And it's all of us in the nudie bar. Uh, Jerry's wearing the I'll Walk a Mile to Kiss a Reptile shirt that Steve wore. And Dan Chase is wearing the pajamas that Jefferson wore in this episode. And I'm wearing a No Man shirt and Jamie's dressed like Peg. If you guys remember, Justin was on the show. He was wearing those. And then after him, we just swapped heads because it was cheaper. <laughs> well, Dan and JP could just switch, but Jamie had to get completely drawn. Yeah, thank God you Patreon members. That goes way back. Um, we had to do the same thing on Skeleton Crew. <laughs> <laughs> Which is weird. I thought Jamie and I had the same body. Oh. Apparently we don't. She just didn't look good in a light blue t-shirt, so I just scrapped the whole idea. (laughs) Despite what you think, you are not God's gift to women. Oh, yeah? Tell that to the burly Earth-first babes who come out every spring looking for baby moose on (laughs) Lovin'. They may not shave like you and I, but they can fill out a flannel shirt, I can tell you that. Then why are you back? I'll tell you why you're back. You're back for this. And then we get the greatest callback to the Bundys who are observing all this. How awesome was that? Because you almost, you're so, the reason that works so well is because you're so wrapped up in what's happening because this is so iconic that you just forget that the Bundys are watching. Yeah. Also, when he's stumbling around, he reminds me of the Fred Sanford character that um, Red Fox played, which Red Fox was referenced in this episode. But that's immediately what I thought of when he was stumbling around the kitchen. Oh, when he does it the second. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool, then. Perfect tie-in. That's right. Read them and weep. <laughs> they answer to another man's whistle now. Oh, that's me, right? <laughs> Just shut up and look pretty. <laughs> And you, you can tell your story walking. I know you don't mean that. Oh, don't I? Jefferson? Huh? Take me right now. Oh. <laughs> Honey, uh, Mr. Bashful might be a little uh, under the weather. <laughs> what with the X here and all. Do it and do it now! <laughs> at me. God, you are such a baby. All right. Just lie there. (laughs) Make Steve super jealous, I guess, or something, and wants Jefferson to make love to her right in front of Steve. Steve could have performed. Just saying. He is an exhibitionist if he did it in front of a homeless person. Exactly. So Steve rips a buttoned-up shirt open to show Marcy what she is never going to get again. Okay. I get the message. But before I walk out the door, for the last time, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. 
Take this to your grave. And Peg takes a gander, and she goes blind. <laughs> now, uh, so Jamie, officially, what do you think of Steve's body? I, I mean, remind, I don't know, not. You didn't think he was sexy? Not so much. I mean, he just looks average. How much is a Jefferson fan paying you to say these things, Jamie? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's bad. Right. I just think I just think it's you know it reminds me of a dad. Yeah. Well. But see, at my age, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, Jamie, it could have been with him right now. He did show up to that house saying, "Daddy's home." <laughs> Daddy's home. Yeah, remember that? Do you think I'm sexy and you really want me? Come on, baby. Remember when he kept coming back from the. Uh, What's it called? Wherever he was, Al's, uh, the Nightmare on Al Street. <laughs> was was that when he was... She kept running and throwing up. Yeah. After all that, Steve is sitting there stroking his egg, and he says... And none of you could tell me she was married. <laughs> uh, we don't like to use the M word in front of the children. <laughs> Open up, it's the FBI. Uh, that could just be for me since stealing this egg is a federal offense. Oh, and if you get any ideas, so is harboring me. If you need me, I'll be in the basement. So, Officer Dan, a.k.a. Oh, we didn't mention that in the special guests. Yeah, sorry. Dan Tullis Jr., one of my favorite guys in Married with Children. Yeah, he's gotten a promotion. Well, remember what we talked about, that he's going to come here and he's going to be 100,000 different people? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he's always uh, an officer of the law in some way, shape, or form. But he's not Officer Dan yet, uh, at least not, you know, permanently. He is, um... Agent Mahoney, a.k.a. Father Mahoney. Wait, wrong podcast. Mahoney. Mahoney is my Mahoney. <laughs> So, yeah, he knocks on the door looking for Steve. He could have easily seen Steve, by the way, if he just looked through those little glass windows they have in the door. I mean, he could have seen him crawl away into the basement. Because <laughs> uh, a lot of times when Al slams the door on Marcy, you could see her look through it. Hello, Agent Mahoney, FBI. Have you seen this man? <laughs> Have you seen this egg? They're known to be in the area. Have you seen either of them? Pretty sure if you just say, have you seen this man, they'd recognize the man before they'd recognize like, an egg. They're both known to be in this area. Have you seen either one of them? Well, is the egg walking around by itself? Yeah, well, I've seen the egg, but not this dude you're showing me. Yeah, we're weird. The egg was being sketchy on the corner. <laughs> yeah, I saw it hanging out on that wall. I was worried it was going to fall. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I served my country. I played high school football. Four touchdowns in one game. Yet I'm not exempt from state and federal taxes. Now, is this any way America should treat its heroes? No, you just flash that badge at some registered voter, buddy. <laughs> We're Bundys. We hate cops. <laughs> 
again, Al, reminds us all, four touchdowns in one game. Like, this is clearly the season. Whether it was mentioned before, whatever, this is the season where the four touchdowns in a single game becomes a true married with children thing. I mean, it has been mentioned, I feel like, five episodes in a row. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure it's not that extreme, but it sure feels like it. And not that it's a bad thing. It's always funny. He said, we're Bundy's. We hate cops. And then slams the door on him. And basically, this was all paid payback for the tax dilemma, as if an FBI agent has anything to do with Al having to pay $44. Well, yeah, but, you know, government government is government. Right. I just don't think they set that up well enough that he's doing this because of the tax thing. Like, obviously, like, yes, anyone who looks at it in depth to talk about it on a podcast is going to put that together. And right now it's not a big deal, but when it comes to, you know, the $10,000 thing, it becomes a bigger deal. Right. Unless you're an expert on married with children and know that in a few seasons, he's going to say that his dream was to become a cop. Then, (laughs) you know, maybe you have a problem with it right now. Yeah. Uh, And more ironically, when Al does become a cop and he goes on the show Cops, Officer Dan is Al's partner. Yeah, never never make someone whose name is Dan a cop. <laughs> Not a good idea. <sighs> yeah, uh, that's season 11. We have a long time till we get there. They put the TV on and, of course, right away, there's a news story about a man, Steve Rhodes, who is insane and dangerous. And now this news brief. A former local man, Stephen Rhodes, is being sought by authorities for his theft of the egg of a nearly extinct species of hawk. He's believed to be insane and dangerous. (laughs) If you see him, call the police immediately. Go chase yourself. We're Bundys. We don't call cops. People call them on us. (laughs) That's right, baby. Like, how perfect is that line? Yeah, that's fantastic. For the Bundys, it was two? I mean, come on. Yeah, that's like one of the probably one of the greatest lines Peg has said on the show so far. I mean, that was just perfect. So there's a ten thousand dollar reward. They all jump right to the phone. So I guess they forgot about the whole harboring situation that they will go to jail too. Well, I, I mean, first of all, you have to prove that they were harboring, and they could easily say, "Well, well we didn't know what was going on until we saw the news report, and then bam, right. you're scot free." And clearly we're not harboring him. We just turned him in. Yeah, we didn't know he was doing something wrong. What are you going to say? Oh, well, he says he told you. You literally called him insane and dangerous. Right. How are we like, like yeah. you're going to believe him over us? And we turned him in. So, no. Yeah, no, nothing, nothing's going nothing yeah. to happen. Who are you going to believe? Insane person or guy who, who, who played football for his country? <laughs> There's a ten thousand dollar reward for information leading to his arrest. Wait a second! Wait a second! Now, family, have we forgotten our principles? Is ten thousand dollars more important to us than a friend? Damn right. Get back away from the phone. Al, this is ten thousand dollars. Now, I know in the shoe business, $10,000 is like Bigfoot. People claim to have seen it, but no one's actually laid their hands on it. But do you know what we could do with this kind of money? Doesn't matter. 
Family, gather around me. Okay. <laughs> gather around. Now, do you know why we shouldn't turn Steve in? Because we already have so much? <laughs> no. We should not turn Steve in because the authorities want us to turn Steve in. Now, I say we should all form a united Bundy front against authority. Can I get a whoa, united Bundy front against authority? Whoa, whoa united, united Bundy front against authority! The only thing that's important here <laughs> is the fact that we care about Steve. We should always... What? <laughs> Hello, police. This is an emergency. Here's your canaries. No, he didn't turn him in because he's not cooperating with the government because of the taxing. That's the only thing that makes sense in the Al character because that's what Al did when it came to the streetlight and the phone bill. When something irritates him... He sticks to his guns and goes after it no matter what the cost. And that's what he's doing here. I don't think he thinks Steve is a true friend anymore. No. Without that, there is absolutely no reason to bring up the taxing in the beginning of the episode. If this isn't the reason, if that's not the reason he is not cooperating, Hmm. then there is no point for that setup. I do want to say uh, when Peggy goes... Now, I know in the shoe business, $10,000 is like Bigfoot. People claim to have seen it, but no one's actually <laughs> laid their hands on it. That's great because of shoes and Bigfoot. That's that's just like perfect. perfect. Like the writers in the room were just like, I can't believe that this is happening. We get to write this line. I love Bigfoot. I have not to get way into it because it doesn't matter, but I have like a Bigfoot air freshener in the back of my truck and right by the back window. And the way it's hung on this thing back there, it actually keeps swaying back and forth as if it's doing that Bigfoot walk and that video for Robert Patterson Patterson video. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it looks just like that. So and I didn't do it on purpose. He was just supposed to hang there, but it actually constantly perfectly goes side to side about an inch and a half. And it looks like he's doing the Bigfoot walk. Perfect. Yeah. I'm not saying I've watched Josh Gates chase the Bigfoot a lot, but I have. Dude, I was I watched like five documentaries on Bigfoot in one week one time. And obviously nothing comes of it, but it was just a, it's a cool thing to get into once in a while, but I used to watch Bigfoot shows every chance I got, and when I was a little like a kid, Bigfoot and the Loch Ness monster were my two favorite things. Yeah. And I think we've already talked we, about before yep. how I used to watch the Loch Ness Monster cam. Yeah, we did. I so, remember that. Yeah. So I see you can't be trusted. Well, it's $10,000. I don't care. Nobody here calls the cops while I'm still alive. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, cut to them all sitting at the kitchen table, and there's a glass in front of Al, and there is smoke pouring out of it. Tang, don't smoke. And I can attest to that because I recently drank Tang and it did not smoke. And if you need proof of that, patreon.com Married with Children podcast. Yep. And I drank Tang on um, on a video too for everybody. I forgot where I put it. <laughs> Somewhere. And no, smoke does not come out of the top. Wait, but did, did either of you eat a Tangwich? Uh, yes, I did. I, okay. I, I, <laughs> I put Tang on bread and I did a Tang wipe. Jamie, you're not a patron of your own show? Um, 
To I'll be have, fair, she was Why would like, I pay myself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because then Patreon would just get a cut of your money that you're getting back anyway. <laughs> <laughs> she saw, she saw, she was like, Jerry's putting stuff in his mouth? No, thanks. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll send you the video. <laughs> What's this? Well, I thought you might be thirsty, so I fixed you some nice tang. <laughs> Tang don't smoke. Well, Daddy, it's the new and improved smoking tang. Chocked full of vitamins and ministers. Bottoms up, Dad. Uh, last time Al heard bottoms up, he had a, he drank some Dr. Fur, and he was supposed to rub it on his head. Well, Daddy, it's the new and improved smoking tang. Chock full of vitamins and ministers. Ooh. When she said that, I immediately was like, I can hear Jamie saying that. Yeah, that was going to be my alternate opening line if... Uh, if one of us it, took yours? It, yeah, because I kind of expected Jerry to want to say, and here we go. But no. Come on, there was too many golden Steve lines in here for it's, me to... It's true. Snipe a peg? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Marcy comes in to talk to Steve. Says Jefferson's confident. He's not worried about any of this. But he is out in the back. You can see him in the back sliding doors. Dressed up as a bush. He's in a bush disguise. Believe it or not. Steve comes out of the basement. Thinking Marcy wants him back. Hi. I just came to talk to Steve. Really? Then why isn't Jefferson with you? I thought he wouldn't leave your side with Steve hanging around. Jefferson is a mature human being, fully secure in his masculinity. (laughs) Steve, I want to talk to you. Ah, Marcy. I see you dumped the pretty wrapping for the total package. Steve, I've got something to say. Last night, things were said in the heat of the moment, and I may have hurt your feelings. I've already forgotten it. No, let me remind you. <laughs> Look at this and see what you'll never have again! Her Raphael uh, overcoat off, showing herself in a different lingerie, green this time. Al goes blind again. He does the red fox walk. She says, you're not getting this. Drool on, dream on, and move on. Uh, Jefferson's so happy. He goes inside, blows his cover. Uh, Downside is Buck pissed on him already. So it's not all good news for him at this moment. I kept expecting, when we saw Buck hanging around him outside, I kept expecting to see him lift his leg. I was waiting for that moment. Because he is trained to do a lot of stuff. You'd think he could do that. Yeah. Um, One thing we skipped over is uh, one of my favorite lines. It's when Marcy says to Steve, she's like, you know, some things were said earlier in the heat of the moment. And I I think I may have hurt your feelings. And he's like, well, I've already forgotten all. And she's like, no, let me remind you. Yeah. (laughs) Let me remind you. That was savage. I I love that. Yeah, Marcy is in control in this. She is killing. It is, it is like she um, when she used to do her little crazy uh, stick fish hooks in somebody thing. Yeah, 
it's like she figured out how to take that concentration and harness it and harness it into a proper meaningful like play mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so steve leaving her kind of made her like the owner of her life you know i have lived here my whole life and i never knew that our bush could talk <laughs> Well, Kel, I'm sure our bushes felt the same way about you. <laughs> well, now I know it's truly over. The Marcy I married would never have beaten around with that bush. <laughs> but whenever I start to feel this way, I'm reminded of an old Ute saying. Hanaka kahawe shosho. That means when you see the teepee rockin', don't come a-knockin'. Well, I'm going to say now, this is the part where I was going to say, Steve says, you know, now he knows it's truly over. Now, I'm glad that Marcy didn't sway in the least and stood by her current man. She didn't even give Steve an iota of hope that he might be able to convince her to come back. She totally stood by Jefferson and we've seen her insult him and tear him apart on the couch, even using Steve's name to do it in um, I Who Have Nothing and all that stuff. And yet when it matters, when she's, you know, because she's doing it in front of the Bundys, she doesn't really care, even though she really shouldn't do it there either. But when it, she wouldn't give Steve the satisfaction or even let him think that he has any one up on her or anything and she uh was 100 percent behind jefferson the whole time now jerry what were you thinking about that did you expect her to maybe want steve back and she would have to like have a battle in her head and then come up with an answer actually no surprisingly i i'm completely okay with how she ran this um and I also think it works for Steve's character because, like, literally Steve, like, after she leaves, he's like, the Marcy I married would have never been around with that bush. And it's just, like, showing that Steve literally is insane. Like, how is, like, none of this seems to affect him. Right. He, he like, it, like, completely just flows right through him. It doesn't bother him. It doesn't stop him or anything. He's just sort of like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Like, it's like, didn't you come here to get her back and that's failed and, like, she tore you down and yet this isn't affecting you at all? Nothing? <laughs> you you are out of your mind. He's just, he's on to the next thing. He is. He's going back uh, to those chicks who can fill out flannel. Yeah, and she, if, you, if that's true, then why are you here? <laughs> but I'll tell you this. When you look at the big picture... The only thing that really counts is friendship. So Steve says the only thing that truly counts is friendship. Then you see this weird shot of all the Bundys, like, agreeing with him or something. It's like a weird angle you never see. And the way they're all standing and nodding is, like, really strange. (laughs) Um, Then all of a sudden, the FBI just barges in. They don't knock this time or anything, because they were tipped off that Steve was there. FBI, nobody move. Traitors! Judases! You turned me in. Uh, well, I put a Ute curse on you all. Patananewa Shoei. Shoei Motuko. 
Now, Jerry, out of anybody on Earth, I figured you would have tried to find the translation for what Steve said. So if you didn't, no one can. No, I I couldn't. I. You know what's weird is it didn't even show up on, like on my closed captioning. Oh, I should have watched it on Hulu and see if Hulu had the subtitles for it. Because I just watched it on my PlayStation 4 with on the disc where I usually have my closed captioning on. Hmm. But my closed captioning didn't actually pop up anything for that. Uh, and funny enough, on this this website that has the script, it also doesn't have either of the the curses. It just skips it. Really? So now I've got to go find out if the Hulu skipped it also. What is an oot? It's ute. Ute. It's like a it's a young person. It's a ute. No, not a you know. It's a it's a Native I, American tribe. Is it? I got I got that it's a vehicle. Oh, here we go. The Ute people. Is it is it a Native American tribe? Okay, yeah. from Utah and Colorado. Yeah, I feel like I've heard that somewhere before. Yeah. <laughs> okay, ready? I'll put a curse on you all. It says speaking a Native American dialect. So on, they don't have on, it on there either. No, it's not on Hulu either. Wow. <clears throat> so there you go. And I don't think the bunnies would even notice if they were cursed. Sorry, Steve. If you know a Ute, uh, let, let us know so we can send them this and they can tell us if this is real or not. When Agent Mahoney arrests Steve, he only puts on one side of the handcuffs. Though this is not unintentional because Steve slash David needed to have at least one hand free to perform his curse after Steve curses the Bundys. The cup is still seen dangling on only one wrist as he is whisked away. So if you have to specifically state it's not done unintentionally, then it's not then a goof. How, then how is it a goof? Yeah, yeah, it's like it's just like the other one. Whoever wrote the goose for this episode is being now. I, I will give it to you. Yes, an FBI agent would handcuff both hands, but it's a television show. I think we can forgive something as small as that. Whoever wrote the goose is just very nitpicky, and yeah, they're they're reaching here with these. Um, well, it's not. I guess the goof they're trying to imply is that they didn't connect it after he was done with his curse, and they just. Wa- but I think Officer Dan was not too concerned about Steve uh, breaking loose or anything. I think that's basically what the consensus is. Agent Mahoney was so scared of Steve. He was so intimidated by the prowess of Steve. That he was worried if he handcuffed both wrists, Steve would just break out of them and beat them all to death. So he didn't want to. He didn't want to enrage Steve anymore. <laughs> no, that's that, one way that, to look it, at it. I it guess. Work? Okay. <laughs> now there's no chance of getting that reward. Mom, I think I can help. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, you sabi guys. <laughs> Don't we deserve something for that? Yes, according to the law, you do. Cuff him, boys. Go easy on the big guy. He played high school football for our country. Well, see, Daddy? Now, thanks to me, we're going to get our reward. <laughs> Sweetheart, my reward was the day you were born. Oh, oh, God. Just give me- 
So Ke- the most bizarre scene in history, I think, of the show so far, Kelly tells them how Steve was hiding out there, and she thinks that that will get her a reward. Because why? What, what would lead you to believe that? Uh, the only way to get the reward is to call it in and say, you know, I found him and he, here he is, so you could arrest him. But to, after the fact, I don't know. I Kelly has three really, really dumb moments in this episode. Uh, looking at the wall instead of looking out the window. That's a great visual gag, but I just kind of go, how? I, like, she's not that, that, like, at that point, you're saying she literally has no brain. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, this one, where she turns them into the FBI. But then also her going, I didn't know one of our bushes could talk. How did you not know that was Jefferson? <laughs> like. In all these years, I never knew, right? Yeah, and at this point, I'm just like, there's you can't have any more writing that is dumber than that. <laughs> and then they give us the ending, right? With Buck. It, oh, oh, yeah. So, what do you guys think of that ending? It turns out Buck made the call to the FBI, and he had a sack in his mouth of ten thousand dollars. Hey, wait a minute. We didn't turn him in. Who could have done this? And so ends another episode of Buck Bundy, environmentally correct Briard. (laughs) If you should witness a crime against Mother Nature, don't be afraid to call your dog. It's not just a good idea, it's the law. Like, I guess it's the same kind of ending that y'all just had with, like, Al jumping out of the airplane or uh, the oh, going old school with Peggy and the kids uh, being at the top of a, a building planning yeah, to jump uh, off. To jump off, right. So I don't know if that works. I mean, it's always – it was always jarring to see that ending and be like, oh, wow, well, you didn't expect that. Um, but – now that we're doing this podcast, it's rare that this podcast hurts the episode for me because usually as I explore, I end up liking it more, even ones I didn't care about. But something like this, I'm not sure that it's a good uh, ending. I can flat out say that while it's adorable, it's just so like Buck talking only works in the sense of breaking the fourth wall of him talking to the audience kind of thing yeah, in his own head in his own head and the audience can hear it as kind of a haha joke to us so we're not even going to go through the whole oh so how did he talk on the phone how did it would they handed a dog the money like we're not even going to get into that because that would be ridiculous but it's cute in the sense of it being a breaking the fourth wall you know commercial dog commercial for his spinoff show i like to think of this ending as um inside buck is still outside in the backyard daydreaming about this that he's this you know a uh, detective on a show hmm. uh you know he instead of uh al being shoe dick it's uh 
dog dick or uh yeah it's whoa no, maybe uh, not that one um <laughs> uh dog bone or uh bone dick or something like wish, that right? it, it's it, oh my god did wishbone steal its thing from this no no that was stolen from but no anyway so because it uses the same background setup as um uh shoe dick right uh so i like to just take this ending and go they should have included a scene where it shows buck in the backyard and zooms at him and then kind of fades into this ending so we would know that this is Buck daydreaming about it. Like, and some maniac will probably write and say, oh, Buck just went to the FBI uh, place, then barked and led them to the house and barked and nodded that he was in there. Then they went in there and then they handed Buck the money. He didn't talk on the phone. Like, and other people say, hey, idiots, this is a comedy. Get a sense of humor. And I say to them that marriage with children is a way of life following the true adventures of an American hero named Al Bundy who played football for you and your your freedoms and you're going to sit here and tell me it's just a show? No, good sir. I tell you that you need to look inside yourself, find your inner Steve, find your inner Al and salute this podcast for carrying the torch to bring this show to more people to give greater in-depth research and explanation and me ranting about random stuff that doesn't really matter on the internet. It's proper due respect. Al played, made four touchdowns in one game for you. And you need to understand that. Thank you. And when we brought this show back to life, we were going to explore, no matter how stupid we sound, no matter how ridiculous of a waste of time and or life this is, we have to figure things out, piece them together, and make this discussion have a point. We just can't take it for what it is and say, well, that's what they did. You know that's what they did. Now you got somebody who's going to explore, elaborate, um create connect things like that so that's all we're we're always trying to do it for the good of the show don't ever forget that we're never doing it to scold the show how many hours are you spending on the tilt a world out of five for this episode jerry uh it's not really going to be a surprise to anyone um but I'm give I'm given five. It meets my criteria for five because it's a standout episode uh, with Steve coming back. It's a standout episode with Marcy establishing not only her dominance in her life, but establishing her relationship with Jefferson. It it you know her doing something like that. Um, we we get a lot of great things. Some of it doesn't make sense, but I can explain away most of it. You know, like, yeah, they didn't make the connection between taxes, government, FBI and and Al being against them or the Buck Bundy reward ending. But I can piece together it myself enough to make it make sense. I can make uh, Jeff or uh, Steve being a jerk face. I can. It was. I sorry. I, it was hard for me to say Steve and Jerkface in the same sentence. I wanted to put Jefferson in there, um, but I can explain that by Steve being legit crazy. And I feel like this episode absolutely establishes uh, the mental breakdown he had beforehand. 
Um, you know, with him leaving with a mental breakdown, me leaving the show with a mental breakdown, us both leaving notes, us both coming back to rant and and rave to people about random stuff. Um, it's just it, it's this episode to me is so good. It also feels like it's only 15 minutes long. This episode flies by. Um, and that's gr- great for a comedy. You want it to go fast. So I, I'm I, on that uh, Steve tilt whirl uh, for five hours. Wow. Oh, Steve's. Uh, oh, boy. Wow. Yeah. I'm not Jeff. Jefferson's not running my tilt whirl. <laughs> How many tickets does that take? <sighs> it takes eggs. Are you sure you were tall enough for that ride? Oh, oh, I'm plenty tall. Does <laughs> does tall really refer to your height? <laughs> no. Ah, oh, wow. You and two tall Jones, huh? Well, how many hours are you spending on the tilt whirl for this episode out of five, Jamie? You know what? I'll spend five hours as well. Whoa. Yeah, I mean, this was really great. It was so good to see Steve back. He's looking good. I in, But I enjoyed the fact that Marcy, like, stood her own, um, or stood her, stood her own, stood her ground. This, I think, will bring Marcy and Jefferson closer together. Hmm. Um, it made, it clearly made him feel good that she had the reaction that she did. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, and whether it was for, um, Good motives or not, I actually enjoyed seeing Al say, we're not going to call the cops on a friend, even though it had really nothing to do with him being a friend, but, you know, whatever. Um, I, yeah, this was this was a fun episode. It just, it honestly flew by. And that's usually how I can tell when it's a really good episode, when it's over before I realize it. Absolutely. Well, guys, this is a Hall of Famer. We're getting fives across the board. I'm going to, much like Marcy, stand by my man and be on Jefferson's tilt world for a full five hours and take a break at 1022 because I am just so impressed by Marcy. Stand by your man. That's the way to do it. Um, and I think this will bring them closer together. I think this is a turning point in their relationship. You know, they're just kind of together just because right now. You know, I think this is when things are going to start developing a little bit better with them too and we're going to see better dynamics and um we're still going to see funny little jabs and this that the other thing like you know he has the legs in the family and all this kind of stuff but yeah it's great um so for this episode why give it a five it's an iconic episode just the visual of the two of them on either side of marcy and the writing was so strong even on the bundy's end of things um, I love their writing when they are watching it. Um, Steve, his appearance, his entrance with the hat coming off, just iconic. Steve being back is iconic. You know, I love, I, I'm, I'm a Steve's years guy. You know, honestly, I, you know, I love a lot of episodes from season uh, five and on and all that. But, but, uh, my heart is really in season two, three and four and also five. And one's good too. But, yeah, it's just great. And uh, the whole egg thing is just bizarre and weird, but it fits right in. It ties right into the the ranger thing. And then 
the ending. It was nice to see Jefferson so happy about it, to see Officer Dan take him away in handcuffs, or at least one handcuffed, and all that good stuff. So, I mean, it was just perfect, and I'm not going to penalize it because Buck is the one who called it in. I mean, that's, ooh, you think I'm going to give it a 4.5 because of uh, 10 seconds of a, of a show? Oh, by the way, uh, Dragnet music at the end of that episode when Buck is ah. just, uh, yeah. Yeah, they blended that with Al's shoe dick episode with that background. So remember, guys, we are still on our summer schedule, one show every two weeks. We hope you're enjoying your summer like we are. So tune in two weeks from tonight when we review My Dinner with Anthrax. Bud and Kelly send their parents on a romantic trip for their anniversary, which no one will ever forget.